0: This is With Intrepid Heart Sermons, sermons by Reverend Adam Moline of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Christians, today we begin the season of Epiphany in the church year. The word Epiphany comes from a Greek word, which means to shine forth or to reveal. And that is the focus of all the scripture lessons that you will hear during the season of Epiphany. All of the scripture lessons during Epiphany teach us how Jesus is the Word made flesh, how he dwells among us, and how his glory and light shine forth into all the world. All of the scripture lessons during Epiphany teach us how Jesus is the one true God in human flesh. They teach us all about how Jesus has come to save us. And so that process begins with our gospel lesson for this evening. In our gospel lesson, Magi or as we commonly refer to them, wise men, are coming from the East to look for and to worship Jesus. Now, the translation wise men isn't necessarily the best because when I hear the word wise men, I think of the three stooges. And the word wise men often implies that these people are smarter than your average person, that they have some sort of secret knowledge some sort of Gnosticism, some sort of thing outside of themselves that have led them to Jesus. In all of the movies, we see them arguing over charts and stars and wondering whether they should come to Bethlehem or not. That's not why they come. They don't have some secret knowledge. It isn't star charts that bring them to Jesus. Rather, it's something much more accessible to all of us and something much more valuable, the Word of God. Now, these magi were probably from what was then known as the Parthian Empire. The Parthian Empire was the ancient rival of ancient Rome. It's in what is today Iraq and Iran. These Parthians were descendants of the ancient Babylonians and the Persians who came after them. The people who had once taken the people of Judah, the people of Israel into exile back in the days of the prophet Jeremiah. The books of Daniel, and Ezekiel were probably even written in ancient Parthia. And in the time of our Lord Jesus' birth, there were still Jewish people living there in that kingdom, even as a small number do even today. Now, if you remember from your Bible history, by military might, the Babylonians, the Parthians... Had conquered Judah. They had led them into exile. And as the people were being led away into exile, they had brought their most precious gift with them. Out of all the items that they had saved from their burned and destroyed homes, the most precious that they carried with them was the Bible, the Word of God, the Torah. They had carried those books all the way across the desert to their exile by the rivers of Babylon. It is within those books, within the book of Numbers, to be specific. Numbers chapter 24, in words prophesied by Balaam, the son of Beor, the prophet that you know because of the talking donkey, It's in those words that a prophecy was given. A prophecy that a star would rise from Judah. And a scepter would rise with that star. And that scepter and that star would exercise dominion over all. Especially over Moab and Edom. Yes, words written by Moses, prophesied by a non-Israelite prophet. That's what the people of Judah carried with them into exile. The words of the Torah were kept and copied over and over for 1,400 years. Those words were even carried into exile, and kept for 600 years, until finally they were read by Magi. Yes, Magi who were studying the sacred books of Scripture. Magi in Iran or Iraq who were reading the Bible. Magi who, having read the Bible, were looking for the star that Balaam, son of Baor, had prophesied. They saw the star, and they traveled to Bethlehem to see Jesus. When Jesus was born, the star had risen, the Magi saw it, they read their Bible, and they followed to see what they might see. The Bible, God's word, brought these Gentiles to the Holy Land to see their Lord. Now, when I hear this, I can't help but think of the tremendous amount of irony that there is. I mean, Jerusalem is not a small town in the ancient world. According to Josephus and, I think, Tacitus, there are roughly about thirty to 50,000 people living in the city of Jerusalem, the former city of David, the capital of Judea. The vast majority of those people living in Jerusalem were Jewish people who had copies of the Torah in their synagogues, who heard them every week on Saturday. They may have even heard the book of Numbers, chapter 24, and the prophecy of the star and the scepter. Jerusalem, with its 50,000 people, was also the capital of a kingdom ruled by Herod the Great. And Josephus and Tacitus tell us that there were about 600,000 people living in Judea. Again, the vast majority of them Jewish citizens who still prided themselves as God's people and who endlessly read and debated the Torah, God's word. It's to this part of the world that the magi come, drawn by the word of God that proclaimed a star and a scepter and a king being born. And so the irony is this. When Jesus is born, no Judeans come to his birth except for those shepherds out keeping watch over their flocks by night, and God had to send an angel to preach a sermon to them. Only then did they come to see Jesus. No Israelites had worshipped Jesus, except an old man, Simeon, and an old woman, Anna, who had worshipped him at his presentation in the temple several months after he was born. 600,000 Jewish people, countless copies of the Torah, but only a few had actually studied God's word enough to understand that the Christ had been born right under their very noses. Only a few knew enough to know what to look for at the Messiah, the Christ's birth. So, when the wise men, the Magi, arrive in Jerusalem looking for the Messiah, no one knows God's word well enough to even know where to find him. Herod, an Edomite, has to hire people to read the Bible for him. He has the chief priests and the scribes dig through all the copies of the Bible. And finally, in the book of Micah, they see where the king, the Messiah, will be born. In Bethlehem of Ephrathah. Do you see the irony? a group of magi from the land that had conquered and forcibly exiled the Israelites 600 years before, send people to come and worship Jesus. While the Israelites, 600,000 of them, all within 60 miles of Jesus, and no one comes to worship The Word of God called the Magi across hundreds if not thousands of miles to worship God in the midst of people who don't even know that he's been born. Though God had told them just that. And so the Magi worship Jesus. The Magi bring him kingly gold, godly incense, deathly myrrh, as gifts to even prophesy about what his own life will hold. The Magi kneel before the Son of God made flesh and worship him as God and Savior. The Magi do this. The Judeans don't care. Well, that's a nice bit of history, isn't it? So what does this have to do with you? Why does this matter? Well, let me ask it this way. How many Bibles are in your house I did a quick run-through. My family has at least 15. I looked this afternoon in my office. I have at least eight. The rest of the stack is right inside the door. I'm sure that you have close to the same number. The Bible is the most published book in the history of the world. Our confirmation students each get a copy when they begin their classes. Our congregation has an annual Bible sale when the Lutheran Study Bible, with all of its indexes, study notes, cross-references, and more, are made available for you to purchase for much less than your monthly cell phone bill costs. Not only do you have stacks of Bibles in your home, we have pews full of Bibles that you could come and read any time that you would like. You, as a congregation, have hired pastors to teach you the Bible, to read its Greek and its Hebrew and explain what it means to learn the history that it encompasses. To proclaim that Bible to you in sermons, from pericopes in the lectionary. You have hired us to bring God's Word to you, to make it available to you when you're sick, when you're in need, when loved ones die. You have God's Word available to listen to as you drive around in podcast form, on radio stations. You have portals of prayer sent to your door, countless devotion books of better and lesser quality. You have access to God's word more than any other generation that has ever lived on earth. But How many of you would have known to look For the star of Judah. How many of you. Having seen a star out of the normal. Would have known what it meant. From God's perspective. Sure. There might be a special on it from the Discovery Channel. But would that tell you the truth? If you saw the star, how many of you would have packed up and left your home, traveling for weeks and months, walking to bear a gift or to see that wonder up close? Speaking of that gift. How many of you would have taken. From your own possessions. And sold to have money. To buy a precious. Expensive gift. And carried it with you. All those miles that you walked. To give it to a baby. How many of you. If you had done all of that, would have fallen on your knees and worshipped that baby as God and Lord. I'll bet not a one of us would have done that. I'll bet that only a few of us have cracked open our vast stacks of Bibles more than once or twice a month. I'll bet no one in this room has read Numbers 24 or Balaam's prophecy about the star from Judah. Not one lick until preparation for this sermon was begun. Let alone the countless other prophecies recorded in the words of the Bible that teach us about Jesus. I don't even know how much time I've spent reading the book of Numbers in the last year. No, we hardly know even the basic outline of the scriptures, let alone the fine details that proclaim God's glorious love for us. We have time to watch reruns of The Office or The Lone Ranger or to watch another season of football when our team is terrible or to scroll through countless hours of worthless social media posts. We don't have time open our dust-covered Bibles sitting around our homes? Well, pastor, I know what's in the Bible. Well, even if that's true and you could say, yes, I know what God's Word teaches, would you act like you know what God's Word teaches? We don't have to walk for months across the desert territory on roads frequented by robbers to see Jesus. All we have to do is climb into our climate-controlled car and drive for a few minutes in traffic. We don't have to buy and carry precious gifts safely for months on camels while sleeping in tents. To bring gifts to Jesus. And yet, oftentimes we hardly have enough as a congregation to even meet budget. We don't have to go before egotistical, murderous kings to ask where Jesus is. Which is good, because we can't even tell our own city officials we'll keep our church doors open no matter what. Thank you very much. We face no persecution. The government doesn't come into our homes stealing away copies of the Bible and burning them in the town square, arresting our preachers, or forcing the church underground, as is happening right now in countless places across the world. We know nothing about that. Not really. But at the same time, Would it matter if they were? It's our sin. Our sin, our pride, has taught us that we don't need God's word anymore, that we've learned enough, heard enough, studied enough, and more. It's our sinful apathy that told us that God's word is harder. And that there are easier, more immediate, rewarding ways to spend our time than reading the word. The world has lied to us and said, a loving God will probably save you anyway. Your sin, your sin has closed your eyes to Jesus. So repent. Repent. Dear Christian, for the love of Christ, repent. Let Christ be revealed to you by his word. Repent today. Repent tomorrow. Repent every day that you have breath in your body and a pulse in your veins. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and open up the scriptures, which clearly reveals Jesus which clearly lets him shine forth into your life. Study God's word diligently and act according to what it says, just as did the magi in our gospel lesson. Repent and hear God's word. It's Epiphany. The revelation of Jesus Time of the church. Jesus has epiphanied himself before your eyes. He's revealed himself to you in the Word of God. He's made himself known to you in the Word which is preached into your ears. Jesus took on human flesh, bore it to the cross to die for your sin of apathy, of pride, of lust, and all the rest. Jesus bled for your guilt, for your shame, for your laziness towards him. He died for your sin and rose from the dead, ascending into heaven to speak a good word to God the Father for you on your behalf. And he sent his Holy Spirit to you. In the word to call, gather, enlighten and sanctify you in the Christian church to enlighten your life with the gospel. And the Holy Spirit that he sent works faith in you by the word. The Holy Spirit works faith in you by the scriptures. The Holy Spirit works faith in you by the sacraments instituted By our Lord himself. The Holy Spirit works faith through baptism. Water in the word. United in God's name and placed upon you. The Holy Spirit works faith in you. When the Lord's supper where you partake of the very God that the Magi worshipped. His flesh and blood in with and under bread and wine. To bring you forgiveness of sins. In these gifts, God reveals himself to you. In these gifts, God gives himself to you. So that right here, in this room, you might worship before Jesus. Repent, dear Christian. God knew what a struggle it would be. For you to regularly hear his word and receive his gifts. Perhaps that's why he allows you to live in this day and age where God's word is so readily available to you. And so, open your Bible. Read it. Come to Bible study. Come to church. Turn off the TV and its worldly propaganda. Consider what difference in eternal value there might be in one hour in God's Word versus one hour on Twitter. Find out how much more beneficial a half an hour in the Word might be than a half an hour of watching Ross and Rachel fight with each other in Friends reruns. Set a New Year's resolution for yourself to read the Scripture and then follow through. Go to church. Read the Bible. Write down words and phrases that stick out and find out why God included them in the Bible. And if you don't know, ask your pastor. Support your church. Love your church. Love Your God. Dear friends, Christ is revealed in his word. His love and forgiveness is made known in the gospel. His word is written down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you might have life in his name. Christ gives you his mercy in his word. He speaks his truth to you in his word. He shows his love for you in his word. He connects you to his forgiving sacrifice in his word. Never grow weary of that word. Never stop receiving what God can never stop giving. Love that word because that word is our only hope. In the name of Jesus, Amen. This has been with Intrepid Heart Sermons by Pastor Adam Olian. The words, with intrepid hearts, come from the conclusion to the Book of Concord where it is written, By God's grace, with intrepid hearts, we are willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with this confession and give an account of it. We will not speak or write anything contrary to this confession, either publicly or privately. By the strength of God's grace, we intend to abide by it.